You know, when I was a kid, I told my mom that I decided that when I grew up, I wanted to be a minister. Well, as you can expect, my mom was excited about it, and, you know, and she said, but, but what made you decide that you wanted to become a preacher? I said, well, you know, since I have to go to church on Sunday anyway, I figured it'd be more fun to stand up and yell than it would be to sit and listen. <laughs> Just made sense, right? So hopefully today I'm not going to yell uh, too much, but I'm going to have fun. When Jesus walked on this earth, he knew that his time was limited. And so he managed each day to the fullest. And I believe as believers that he intends us to do the same thing, to live each day that he has blessed us with to the fullest. Because I think it would be such a tragedy to face the end of this life and wish that I had better understood who I was, who I was meant to be and what I was ordained to do. But you see, many people won't take time to find out what they are good at or what they're fulfilled in doing. But friend, let me let you in on a little secret. Truly knowing who you are can only be derived by truly knowing who God is and his intended plan and purpose for your life. Listen to what David said as he wrestled with this idea of God's plan for him. It's in Psalms chapter 8. It begins at verse number 3. And David says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you would visit him. David is saying, God, as I sit here and I look up at the stars, as I look up at the majesty of heaven, I know how vast and expansive you are. But yet, even though I was just a peasant boy, you looked down on me as a shepherd sitting in the fields, and yet you decided to make me the king over a nation. I mean, how could a God be so big and so powerful, but yet have interest in me? It blows my mind. Now, I really don't think David said it blows my mind, but I was just kind of giving it a little bit of a modern, uh, modern twist. But friend, listen to me. When you study creation, it reveals the intent of the creator. And you'll never truly understand and learn the purpose of your life on this earth until you better understand the creator of this earth. Because you see, God created the unfathomable universe where we live with just his word. Our galaxy alone, the Milky Way, has over 100 billion stars, and some say 400 billion stars, and my God knows every one of them by name. Every snowflake that falls, each unique in themselves, like your fingerprint, all of them are designed and created by Almighty God. He created angels and anteaters and atoms and ants and chiggers and clouds. God created elephants and electricity. God created raindrops and sweat drops and blood drops and dew drops. I mean, if we were any closer to the sun, we would burn to a crisp like bacon. If we were any further from the sun, we would all be frozen yogurt. And God set our earth in the very exact location where it was meant to be. The Bible says he weighs the mountains on a scale and the hills in a balance and he holds the sea in his palm. Without a doubt, the complexity of our creation reveals that it has an intelligent design. It could not have just evolved. 
And I don't know about you, but I believe it takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does to believe in creation. Someone said the probability of life originating from an accident is comparable to the probability of a dictionary resulting from an explosion in a printing factory. It's not going to happen. One time a little girl asked her mom where she came from. Her mom said, well, we came from Adam and Eve. Well, you know how inquisitive children are, so she went to her dad and asked him the same thing. And her dad said, well, we came from the monkeys. <laughs> well, I mean, you can imagine that the little girl was confused. So she went back trying to get some clarification and told her mom what her dad had said. Her mother said, well, sweetheart, I told you about my side of the family, and he told you about his side of the family. <laughs> Very simple. It takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does to believe that God said it, and it was. But if you happen to be here and you're of that humanistic belief that we're here by accident, and that as human beings we are an arbitrary occurrence of nature, well, my question to you, friend, today is, well, then what's the point? I mean, if it's all just happenstance, then we're just another curious animal waiting on the next phase of our evolutionary cycle. And that means life has no purpose. It has no meaning. If we got here by chance, that means we're going to leave here by chance. And so that means there's no reason to live by a moral code. There's no need to worry about making right choices. If we're just an evolutionary result of some big bang that happened billions of years ago, then our lives were never really intended to mean anything because there was no intelligent design behind our lives. But I want you to know there are fingerprints of a master designer all over this creation. And what that does is it whispers to me that my life has purpose and that my life has meaning. If there is a master designer, then there is a master purpose for my life. And friend, let me assure you, there is also a master purpose for your life, and we are not the result of chance or accident. We're the result of an amazing imagination like none other who through his creativity made us the prize of his incredible, incredible creation. And because of that, my life has meaning. And that makes living today matter because I know that there is a purpose to my existence. I mean, there is a God who knows me by name who knitted me together in my mother's womb, who has a plan and a purpose for my life. And my job is to discover that plan and live a fulfilled life following after the purposes that God set out for me. You know, if I found out that I only had six months or 12 months or even five years to live, I don't think I'd spend time doing the things that I didn't really enjoy. I mean, I think I would spend the remaining days of my life doing what God had called me to do because those are the things that would bring the greatest fulfillment in my life. You know, one of my uh, favorite cartoons, and it happens to be a favorite cartoon of my grandson Shane and granddaughter Hannah, is The Lion King. I don't know how you feel about cartoons, but I like that one. And most of you know the story of Simba. 
He's a young lion that was wrongly accused in the death of his father. And, and out, of, out of the shame and the inability to defend himself, he flees into the jungle where he hangs around with a warthog and a weasel. Pumbaa. Timon. And instead of acting like a lion who is the heir to the throne, the king of the jungle, he acts more like the warthog and the weasel, and in the process he loses his identity. And so he grows up living in exile, hanging out with the warthog and the weasel, but then his father appears to him in a vision and says, Simba, you have forgotten me. And Simba says, but dad, have I forgotten you? And Mufasa says, you have forgotten who you are, and therefore you have forgotten me. Remember who you are, Simba. You are my child, the one true king. In my James Earl Jones voice. <laughs> Simba, you've forgotten your heritage. Well, you see, my fear this morning is there are far too many of us that have forgotten who we are in our creator. And we have missed out on our true purpose and the meaning of our life. We're not living, we're merely existing. We're not experiencing the abundant life, we're just trying to survive this life. And we have gotten more accustomed to living like the warthogs and the weasels that we run around with than we have living the king's plan for who we are. You need to understand today, it's not about who you are, it's about whose you are. And the reality is that the King of kings and the Lord of lords is saying to us this morning, you have forgotten me. You have forgotten who you are. You need to remember you are my child. You need to remember you are a child of the King. Yes. Psalm 139 verse 15 says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Friend, God saw you, and he wrote your history before you were ever even born. I mean, that's how much intention he placed into your life. You're not just some random selection. You're not an accident. You're not as a result of chance. There is a God who created you, who ordained you, who has so much faith in you that he wrote your personal life in his personal journal. And our job is to stay on the right page. We don't need to be a chapter or two behind. We're not, we don't need to be trying to get a page or two ahead. You see, because when we're on the current page of the days of our lives, not the current episode of days of our lives, not that, but the current page of God's days of our lives, that's where we're going to find the greatest fulfillment and the greatest pleasures in this life. You see, it's like cars or computers or trucks or tractors. You know, they're not produced in the factory until they're created in the design room. I mean, so they are created before they're ever produced. And this is the same thing God did for you. He looked into the future. He saw the needs of our society. He saw the needs of this church. He saw the needs of your family. And so he created you in heaven with some of this quality and some of that quality and a little of this purpose and a little of that intent. And God put you in your mother's womb knowing that you would be a solution to a kingdom problem before that problem ever reached its peak. There was that much thought given to your life 
And friend, the kingdom of God needs you to fulfill your plan. Now, I think most of us here are probably aware of the term identity theft. Some of you may have even experienced it. But you know, that's where someone gets access to your personal information and is able to use it for illegal activity. But identity theft isn't new. It's been around for a long time because it was identity theft that Satan used in the Garden of Eden to try to undermine God's plan for man. You see, Satan talked Adam and Eve out of who they were by getting them to think they could be something that they weren't. And today, Satan is still trying to, that same tactic of identity theft by undermining your value, undermining your purpose, and undermining God's plan for your life. But John 10.10 says that the devil is trying to kill, steal, and destroy the identity that you have in Jesus. But the answer to his lies is still in John 10.10 where Jesus said, but I have come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. Satan wants you to live below where you are. He wants you to live barely surviving. He certainly doesn't want you to live abundantly. But because Jesus overcame this world, he said that we could also overcome this world by living in the identity that he created us to be. Most of us are familiar with GPS, the global positioning system. You know, this is a system that tracks you from satellites to help you get where you're going. One time I was going to meet a friend someplace, and he said, do you need the directions? I said, no. I've got a GPS. I have the address. I have my GPS override. He said, GPS override, what's that? I said, my wife. <laughs> have you noticed that the voices on most GPS systems are women? Have you ever noticed that? I think it's a conspiracy so that women can finally tell us men where to go. <laughs> uh, but did you realize that there are some spiritual tracking guides that God has given us to help us arrive at our heavenly destination? That's right. G would be your gifts. P would be your passions. And S would be your struggles. It's God's GPS system in our life that he uses to refine us, to mold us, and to help us arrive at the right destination. Now, maybe you grew up differently than I did. But the way I grew up was that, I mean, if you really enjoy doing something, well, then it couldn't possibly be God's will. Because in order, it for, in order for it to really be from God, you had to dread doing it. Does anyone know about what I'm talking about? So if you love something, well, then it negated. If you love doing something, then it negated the blessing of doing it. I mean, surely there couldn't be enjoyment in what God called you to do. So consequently, there were a lot of people who didn't do the, what they were supposed to be doing because they actually enjoyed it. And because they enjoyed it, then it certainly couldn't be God's will. But could it be that perhaps you enjoy doing what you do because God placed a desire in you and he wanted to bring you fulfillment through doing that thing? Eric Liddell, the, the Olympic medalist and the center of the Chariots of Fire story, said, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. 
It's as if he's closer to God when he's doing this thing that we might think is insignificant, running. But when he was doing what he was gifted to do, when he was doing what he was passionate about, it was in that moment that he felt closer to God. And I want you to know that Starla feels closer to God when she's shopping. That's when she feels closest to, to God. She says, the Holy Spirit just leads me down this aisle and that aisle, just finding. And it helps build my faith that he doesn't even take me to the sale items. He takes me to the full price stuff. And then I have so much faith by then, I'll tell him I'll pay 10% more than the regular asking price. I wish you would feel God's presence running a vacuum cleaner. I'm in trouble now. I've done a bit off more than I can chew. Oh, my goodness, that went a lot further than I thought it was going to. <clears throat> you know, when I was in high school a long time ago, <laughs> a long, long time ago, well, the thought was that colleges and scholarship committees were looking for well-rounded students, not someone who is just a bookworm or, or just an athlete. And it sounded really good, but I'm afraid the well-rounded ideology made us dull because even though we did a lot of things back then, we were average at all of them. Friend, I want you to realize that God has given each of us talents. He's given us gifts, and he's called us to do something special in his kingdom. But in our attempts to be well-rounded Christians, we haven't passionately pursued that particular gift that God wants to use that will also bring us fulfillment along with accomplishing his will. And so I believe God guides us with our gifts. He guides us with our passions. And then when we are struggling with the adversities of life, we can use those things that we enjoy, use those things that give us fulfillment to help make us through the difficult times. Because let's face it, we all have struggles. I mean, think back to Moses. He was raised in Pharaoh's house, a lap of luxury. But in a heated moment, he killed an Egyptian, and he had to run into the desert in exile. He was running from God and the plan that God had for his life, and so God tracks him down on the backside of the desert and said, Moses, I want to use you. And Moses says, well, you can't use me, God. I stutter. I, I, I failed. And then Moses gives God a laundry list of all the reasons why God can't use him and why the purpose for his life has now been voided. Then God led Moses to a burning bush, and it was in that burning bush that God revealed his name. And God told Moses, I am. And that means I am sufficient. I am enough. I can supply the need. But you see, more than God revealing to Moses who God was, God revealed to Moses who Moses was. And when God said, I am, the revelation to Moses that day was, I am not. I don't know if that is freeing for you, but it is for me. 
And folks, this is a real-life truth that will guide you for the rest of your days if you'll just get a hold of it. There is a God, and you ain't Him. Now, we believe that, of course, but do we act like it? No. We try to help God out. We try to control God. We try to give God conditions. We try to tell God how he should work on this and handle that. We get in his way. So we say that we're not God, but yet we try to do what only God can do. When Moses came face to face with God at the burning bush, when God said to Moses, I am, he was saying, I am the creator of everything. I am running the show. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am the owner of everything. I am Lord. I am the creator and the sustainer of life. I am the Savior. I am more than enough. I am inexhaustible. I am immeasurable. I am the first. I am the last. I am the strong tower, and I am your God. That's what our God is. That's who God is. But in, re in revealing himself as I am, God also said, your name is I am not. And we need to realize that I am not the center of everything. I am not in control. I am not the solution. I am not all-powerful. I am not all-knowing. I am not calling the shots. I am not holding it all together for sure. I am not the creator, and I'm certainly not the savior. There is a God, but I am not him. And it's in these adverse moments when we're facing the struggles of this life that we're humbled enough to rely on God, and we have to be dependent on God. I mean, we know who he is. We know that he's phenomenal, but maybe the greatest lesson that we can learn when we're going through difficult times is who we aren't. Adversity, storms, struggles, they, they can be beneficial if we learn something from us, from them. And one of the things we need to learn when we're going through tough times is we need to learn to listen. And struggles that we face, they tell us there's a God, but they humble us enough to admit that we're not Him. And so, and so the struggles help us to, to find direction and purpose in our life. And from the wounds that are created through our difficulties, we can all become wounded healers in the process. Friend, I want you to know, whatever you've been through, it is not wasted. There is a redemptive value to your suffering. God wants to use what was meant for evil in your marriage or what was meant for evil in your life or what was meant for evil in your finances or what was meant for evil in your physical body. He wants to use that for his good. What Satan tried to kill, steal, and destroy, the identity he tried to take away from you, God has the intention of using that for good in your life. Listen to what 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 says. He comforts us. God, he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. You see... Your pain is the passport into someone else's life who's going through the same pain that you've been through. If God has delivered you from addiction, then you have the ability to pay that forward. If God has brought healing to your marriage, you need to be looking for someone to walk alongside to help advise them in that same situation. If God has worked a miracle in your life, you need to help someone else through that fire. And in doing so, you may actually discover the purpose and fulfillment for your life by doing what God has called you to do. Yeah. Woo. 
Friend, God has brought all of us through hard times. And he will bring someone else into our lives who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as our Heavenly Father was there for us. So if there's a gift that you have in your life, if there's a passion you have, or if you're going through a struggle right now, those things are to help guide you to what God's purpose is for your life and the plan that he prepared for you since before you were born. I mean, we all face storms from time to time. In Acts chapter 27, the apostle Paul is facing being shipwrecked because of a violent storm. And so in order to try to lighten the ship and save their lives, they begin to toss cargo over the side. Now, when they were loading that cargo, they wouldn't have loaded, on the boat, loaded it on the boat if they didn't think it was important. But the minute they thought they were going to sink, when they thought it was going to be over, what was meaningful then, what was necessary then, well, it was no longer important now. Let's get rid of it. And they begin to toss the cargo. You know, if we really wanted to find God's purpose and fulfillment in our lives, if we really had a grasp of how short life is, what cargo would we throw overboard? What things in your life would be the first to go? You know, when we honestly take inventory of the things that we would toss in order to keep our ship from sinking, the real question is, what keeps me clinging to this cargo now? Why can't I simplify my life today? Storms can bring positioning, it can bring purpose, it can bring intent to my life, because all of a sudden, when those things, ha when those things happen the real priorities begin to take center stage when I realize that I'm confronted with the fact that tomorrow is promised to no man. And if I'm perfectly honest, I'm not God and I don't know what tomorrow holds. And while God won't cause our pain, sometimes he allows us to walk into pain. Because many times... Pain is the brick wall that slows me down enough to get my attention. And many times we're so busy that God can't get us in his presence because we're so busy doing our own thing, trying to get ahead of the page in his book. We're all in a hurry to see how the story ends. We're going through something, so we're in a hurry to get through it. But God's fulfillment, God's blessing, God's answer is staying on the current page that he has for us. And the way to stay on that same page with God and the only way to discover our purpose and to survive when we're going through a struggle is to have intimacy with him. And with that intimacy, we can find fulfillment and we can find our revelation of who he is in our life. One time a, a little boy was, was watching a caterpillar and it was beginning the process to struggle to become a butterfly. And so he noticed that, that 
The butterfly was trying to get out of the cocoon. And so he thought he was going to do the butterfly a favor. And so he took his little pen knife and he opened up a little hole in the cocoon. And he was expecting the, uh, a beautiful butterfly, colorful, bright wings to pop out and fly away. But the butterfly fell out of the cocoon and died in his hand. You see, because the way God created that butterfly was that it needed to struggle to get out of the cocoon in order for the chemicals to be released in its body that would allow it to fly. So in trying to help the butterfly, the little boy actually killed it. You see, because God ordained the struggle to allow the potential of the butterfly to come out. And to become a butterfly that can soar, what does the caterpillar do? It weaves a cocoon, and then it sits still and waits. And it's in that sitting still that God, that what God ordained for the caterpillar begins to transform. That's when a metamorphosis happens. And the butterfly then becomes what God intended it to be. And so there are positioning moments in our life while we're struggling through the adversities of life. And it's in those times when we will just be still and be intimate with our Savior that he will reveal his purpose and his intentions for what we're going through. So friend, if you knew the Lord was coming back next week, what would matter the most? Say, if you knew that God was coming back next Friday at 10, what would matter? Now, I know some of you are saying, is that 10 a.m. or 10 p.m.? I, I want to have as much time as I can. But I think the thing that would matter the very most is making sure that everything was right between you and God. And then no matter which 10 it was, I would think that you would want to spend some intimate time in his presence. And so, friend, if you're here today and you are not a child of God, you need to be. You need to be because your eternity depends on it. And if you're here today and you are a child of God, well, then we all need to seek first his kingdom. We need to seek that first because then everything else, according to the word of God, then everything else will be taken care of. And then your future will already be decided. God already has your tomorrow planned. And when we rest in that plan, that's when we're going to find fulfillment in our life. And when I do that, that means I don't have to worry about tomorrow because God has it all under control. Because there is such peace knowing that he has already written my today and every day in his book. Bow your heads with me, if you would. 
There may be some of you here today and you're going through things. You have a struggle in your life and you just may be at the point where, where in your heart you're just screaming out, Jesus, I need you. Lord, I need you to come into this mess and guide me through it. Well, friend, today you need to quit running after this and chasing after that, and you need to turn your energy into worshiping the Father. It's like I said earlier, we need to forget about what we're going through. We need to forget about our situation. We need to forget about our need. And today we need to make it about Him. We need to make this worship service about our God. Because it is all about Him. And when it's all about Him and we realize that, then we don't have to be reminded that He's in control. And we can be reminded that the I Am is here today, now. And He's waiting on us to come unto him. And so if you're here today and you need a touch from the Father, you need him to perform something in your life, would you, would you raise your hand? It may be, thank you, thank you, yes, thank you, thank you. It may be for salvation. It may be that, that you're a believer and there's just some cargo that you need to throw overboard to readjust your priorities. But you need Jesus to manifest himself in your life. Is there anyone else? Thank you, yeah. Thank you. Friend, when we will trust the Holy Spirit, amazing things will happen.